Well, again, good morning. How many of you were here last night for Ravi Zacharias? How many of you were able to be here for that? Uh, it was a powerful time where Advancing Native Missions, which is a missions agency that we partner with on many levels, many of their staff attend City Church, and they had a special kind of awareness night where Ravi Zacharias came in to uh, bring a message, and they were able to share some of the things that they were doing here in this auditorium. This place was sold out, and the place was packed, and it was a wonderful evening, again, as A&M shared about God's call and what they're involved with around the world. Now, this morning, we are going to wrap up a teaching series that has focused on Rise. Rise was the sermon series title for our Easter season, and if you're newer this morning, maybe you haven't been with us in a while, you would say this, Easter is over. Move on, man. Do something different. But here's what you would discover, here's what you would find, and that is this, that in the Newer Testament, all of the New Testament writers mention Easter after the Gospels. You know what's incredible? None of them mention Christmas. None of them. But all of them mention Easter. And I love Christmas any, any as much as you do, but I can tell you this, you can pull Christmas out of the Gospels and the story does not change. But if you take the resurrection, if you take Easter, if you take rise out of the Gospels, you will find that the Gospels disappear. And so what I want to do this morning is take another look at resurrection. Another look at resurrection. And in order to do that, we are going to read the story found in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your smartphone, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 24 if you're utilizing the Bibles that we provide. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take those out. Now the Scriptures will be up on the screen. Now before we read Luke 24, here's what I want to say. If the resurrection is the thing that you find in the Bible that all of the writers reference, if that is true, and if it's also true, that Christmas is never mentioned again after Matthew and Luke, two of the Gospels, two of the other Gospels never even mention Christmas. But if Easter, if the resurrection, if Jesus rising from the dead is the thing that all of the Newer Testament writers reference, then what's the big deal? What is it that we need to understand? What is it that I need to come to terms with if the resurrection was so important to them and they were alive when Jesus was alive? If it was that important to them, what does that mean to me? So what I want us to do is we're going to take a biblical journey and discover the fullness of the resurrection. We're going to discover about Jesus' resurrection in an episode in Luke 24. And then we're going to take a look at what other people in the Newer Testament said about the resurrection of Jesus. And so, let's read the episode of Jesus' resurrection in Luke 24, beginning with verse 36. Now, just so that we know the context, and I know we have a lot of people at City Church who are newer, and you're checking out faith in Jesus. So I need to kind of put the framework in so that you can understand what's getting ready to happen. At the point where we're getting ready to read, Jesus is already resurrected. What has happened after the resurrection, between what we're getting ready to read, is an event called the road to Emmaus. We looked at that last week. What ends up happening is there are two disciples who are walking with Jesus, and Jesus, in step with them, they're kept from recognizing him, but he begins to teach them about how to find him in the Older Testament. They end up getting to their home in Emmaus, about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem, and they invite Jesus in. 
Jesus sits down at their dinette table and as, they, as he breaks bread and he blesses it and he hands it to them, their eyes are open and they recognize him and he disappears from their sight. Their response to that, these two disciples, one is named Clopas, I believe that the other disciple with him was his wife Mary, their response to the resurrection of Jesus was to run back to Jerusalem to make the seven-mile journey at night, to go back to Jerusalem, to meet up with the 11 apostles, and as well as many other people, and announce to them, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. That's what they share. In the middle of them uploading that story, the episode we're getting ready to read happens. Let's read together. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, here's what Scripture tells us. Jesus appears to his disciples. Let's read. While they were still talking about this, in other words, while Clopas and his wife Mary are still talking to the disciples about what has happened, it says while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace. Peace be with you. And they were terrified and frightened, thinking that he, that he was a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, here's what he asks, do you have anything here to eat? Isn't that funny? Give me a Big Mac. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. And he told them, This is what was written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Next verse. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What we have just read is a story, an episode, an excerpt from Jesus' resurrection. But I want to hone in on something that is mission critical for us to understand about the resurrection. Here's what it is. Jesus was making absolutely sure that his disciples understood something about him in resurrected form. What does it tell us? That Jesus said to them, look at my hands and my feet. It's me. And then he says, touch me and see. He says this, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Here's what's shocking. Jesus is making absolutely sure that everyone understood it was Him physically raised from the dead. He was making sure. Because when they first saw Him, He knew what they would think. Ah, nothing but a ghost. There were other times when Jesus did things that they couldn't believe He was capable of doing, and they would say, ah, must be a ghost. But here, he is making absolutely sure that they would understand that it was him physically raised from the dead. To the point where it says, look at my hands, look at my feet, and then he says this, touch me, touch me, reach out your hand, grab a hold of my physical body, make sure that you're convinced that Jesus is physically raised from the dead. Now, as we begin to look at resurrection, I want us to understand something that is so critical to get. 
Jesus' physical body had been raised from the dead. But here's what else is fascinating. There is something about his body that is different, but there are a lot of things that are the same. And one of them is his wounds from the cross are on him. His resurrected body still has the wounds. To the point where when he holds out his hands and his feet, the reason why he is doing that is because the last time many of the disciples saw him, he was nailed to the cross. The first century church tells us in their writings that they viewed the wounds in his hands and his feet as love wounds. That's what they called them. Those wounds were love wounds. But I think it's fascinating to note that in the resurrected body, the wounds of Jesus, for the price he paid for our sins, went with him into his resurrected body. And then he does something else. He says, give me something to eat. Not only is he physically there, but there still is the bodily function of a human body. So those things are similar to the body you and I have, but then there's something completely different. It's this. The Gospel of John, when John uploads this episode to us, tells us that the disciples are in a room. The door is locked for fear of the Jews. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands in the middle of them. So although he is physical, here's what's incredible. The physical world does not hinder him. His resurrected body is capable of moving through physical things, but he is still physical. And what's amazing to me is he wants to make absolute certain. He wants them to be positive that it's still his physical body. Now, here's the question. That's what Jesus appears and shows about himself. But what did other Newer Testament people say about Jesus? Before we read the next text, here's what I want to tell you. There were other supposed messiahs during the time of Jesus. He wasn't the only one. A guy named Josephus uploads to us that there were about 10 or a dozen other people during 50 to 100 years prior to Jesus that also claimed to be the Messiah. And here's what would happen. They would declare that this individual was the Messiah. Rome or some other political military power would come in and kill the person. And their response was one of two things. The first response was, find a new leader that claims to have the same authority. So if your Messiah got killed, you'd go find another one. Now, I don't know who would really want to sign up for that, but they did. So there were two responses. The first one was, go out, find another Messiah to keep the movement alive. Because if the Messiah was killed, you need another one. The other response was this. You disband and you leave. If your leader, the one you thought was the Messiah, was killed, you'd exit and go home. One of two responses. But here's what's stunning about the disciples. Here's what's stunning about the apostles. They didn't go with either one of those. They said something that was categorically different. Here's what they said. They said, yep, Jesus was the Messiah. Yep, you killed him, but he is raised from the dead, and the movement's still going to keep going. You understand that? He did not, they did not say, oh, we got to find another Messiah. They did not say, hey, disband, let's go home. They were saying something that was incredibly different than what anyone would have ever imagined. They began to say, our leader, Jesus, is raised from the dead, and we are going to keep on going. Now, here's another thing that they said. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. The apostle Peter says this. He's preaching the very first sermon, the very first time anyone talks about the resurrection other than Jesus. This is mere weeks 
after Jesus was raised from the dead. Mere weeks. Not years, not a hundred years, not a thousand years, but mere weeks after Jesus was raised from the dead, approximately 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, and probably less than two weeks after Peter was in the room where Jesus appears, here's what Peter preaches publicly in Acts chapter 2, 24. First sermon ever. Here's what he preaches. God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was, next word, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the first recognition of Jesus' resurrection, the first thought publicly about a resurrected Jesus, and notice, they didn't say, let's go home. They did not say, oh, pick another leader. Here's what they said. Same guy. You killed him. He's back. (laughs) And here's the explanation that Peter gave. Peter was in the room with him when Jesus explained to them from the Scriptures what the resurrection meant. And here's what Peter says. Peter says this. It was impossible for death the thing that touches all of creation, the thing that was the result of the fall of Adam and Eve, the thing that allowed chaos and dysfunction and brokenness to enter into this world, death could not keep its hold on him. Stunning. Peter's saying, same leader. You killed him, but death could not keep him. It was impossible for death to hold him down. Shocking. Shocking. Now why is it that death could not hold him? Here's why. Because Jesus never sinned. And even though there was a physical death on the cross that got a hold of Jesus, because Jesus had never sinned, death thought it had him. Death thought it had him in its grip. Death was convinced for three days we got him. Just like every other part of creation where death is involved, we got God's Son. Death got a hold of Jesus. But it was almost as though death lost a buzzer beater. (laughs) It's like when you're beating a team. You're pounding the other team and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, they start coming back. You're convinced you're going to win. But with about a second left, a member from the other team a member from UVA shoots a three-pointer. Swish. And you go, oh, we had them. Don't we say that in sports? We had them. What happened? Or if you're a fisherman and the fish that you caught that no one else saw but you, you got the fish right up to the boat. Honey, get the camera. Get the camera. Wife scrambling, trying to get the iPhone up. And the fish is that big, right? Start that big. And you've got to hold on the fish. And you're, of course, logging it into the boat. It's so huge, you can barely pull it into the boat. And at the last second, you lose your grip. You can't hold it. That's what Peter says about Jesus. Death had Jesus in its grip, squeezing him. And Peter announces, death couldn't hold him. You want to know why? Peter doesn't even explain. He just said, it's impossible to hold Jesus down. It's impossible. Can't do it. And so picture this. Here is Peter, now the new leader of the movement, And he's not replacing Jesus. He's talking about him. Everything Peter says points to the leader that everyone knew was dead and now is alive. And then Peter goes on in that same sermon to say the following. God raised Jesus to life. And what does he say to the crowd? And we are all witnesses of it. Peter stands up in front of the crowd and says, you guys 
are witnesses of a resurrected Jesus. And you know what you find in, in the gospel or in the, in the book of Acts? Not one person from the crowd points at Peter and goes, didn't happen. Not one person. Not one person in the crowd rebuts Peter's claim that Jesus Christ is alive. No one says it. Dead quiet. Now, what else do New Testament people say about Jesus? What else do they say about him? Well, moving from Peter now to the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian that ever lived, who, oh, by the way, met Jesus on the road to Damascus in resurrected form. Peter, Paul met him. But here's what Paul writes about Jesus. Here's what he writes. He says this about the resurrected Christ. First of all, he talks about how Jesus appeared to Cephas or to Peter. He appeared to other. He appeared to the 11 apostles. He appeared to other people. And then after that, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. It's stunning. Here's what he writes. After that, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to more than how many? 500 people of our brothers and sisters. He appeared to more, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the what? Same time. Somewhere there was a meeting of 500 people. Somewhat less than what's in this auditorium, but a crowd this big. And they were together somewhere, and Jesus showed up and appeared to them at the exact same time. Paul references that in the book of Corinth as he begins, or book of Corinthians as he begins to move to talk about the resurrection. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what Paul says about the resurrection as we process through it together. But here's how he begins. He begins by saying this, that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time, and then here's what's shocking. Here's what he says. Most of them are still, what? Living. In other words, here's what Paul says. You don't believe me? There's 500 people that saw him at one time, and oh, by the way, most of them are still alive, so you can fact-check what I'm telling you. Go check it for yourself. What confidence. What brazen confidence in faith. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. He's saying that Jesus appeared to 500, not only that, they're still alive, and if you don't want to take my word for it, just go over to Jerusalem. There are 500 people at one time that saw him resurrected from the dead. Go ask them. Go ask them. Here's what I want to explain to you. The confidence of the people in the Newer Testament that Jesus was resurrected from the dead was rock solid. There was no argument that could shift them. No possible way. And here's what I want you to clearly understand. The Apostle Paul is saying this months, mere months after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Peter was saying it probably 72 hours after Jesus was raised from the dead. These people stood rock solid that Jesus Christ, dead, buried, resurrected, so that is what, what some of the Newer Testament writers and those that we can read about in their letters tell us about Jesus. Now here's what else is incredible. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, as he begins to talk about the resurrection and what it will mean to you and to me, here's how he starts. He says this, I want to explain to you a mystery. I want to explain to you people something that you don't know, but you need to know it. Here, if I could put it this way. If someone explains to you a mystery, guess what? It's no longer a mystery. If someone ever comes up to you and says, hey, I want to tell you a secret, guess what? The second you hear it, it ain't a secret anymore. And what happens with the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, he goes to this church in Corinth, and he says, hey, look, fact check. 500 people saw him raised from the dead at one time he appeared to them. And his body, man, physical body, 
Yep, he can walk through walls. Creepy, we know, but he can. Raised from the dead, 500 people, go fact check it. And then he says this, but I need to tell you a mystery. In other words, no argument. Jesus, raised from the dead. Jesus, still leading the movement. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. And now the Apostle Paul kind of opens up to us, what does that mean for us? Yep, started it as a mystery, now he tells us. So what I want us to do just for a moment is to get very practical about what the resurrection means to you and to me. Let's get practical. Well, here's how Paul describes it. Now remember, Paul's the most famous, best theologian that ever lived. He met Jesus personally in resurrected form. And to a church in Corinth, he's explaining to them practically exactly what it means for them and for us that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Here we go. Here's what he says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. No argument. No one stands up and says, Paul, you're wrong. They believe him. They know what he said is true. Christ is indeed raised from the dead, and here's how he explains Jesus in his resurrection as he moves towards practically what it means for you and for me. Here's what he said. Jesus raised from the dead, the, what's the next word? First fruits. That means there's more fruit coming. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep is a funny way to put this. Want to know why? They're dead. They're dead. But Paul, in his mind, when he thinks about people who follow Jesus, people that have put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, he does not say they're dead. How does he describe it? Fallen what? Asleep. Just like some of you here. <laughs> Fallen asleep. Get that? So if someone here has what? fallen asleep, what does that mean? They will wake up. And so when Paul looks at the Christian faith and practically what the resurrection means for me and for you, here's how he describes people that have died. All they have done is fallen asleep and he titles Jesus as the, what is it? First fruits. There's more fruit coming. Now first fruits is a Jewish concept. It's involved with what would happen on a special celebration, one of the feasts of Israel. What would happen is the priests would harvest some grain, they would bring it before the Lord, and it was a first fruits offering. And when they brought the first fruits, they would literally wave it before the Lord, and it was a sign in faith that if they offered the first fruits to God, more would come. First fruits, way before the Lord, said there's a massive harvest coming, but you give God the first fruits. That's how Paul describes Jesus. He is the what? First fruits of those who have what? Fallen asleep. They're not dead, they're just sleeping. But Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first offering. He is the first one that has been raised from the dead, but there's a whole lot more of that coming. It's powerful. And so as Paul practically explains what the resurrection of Jesus means to the people of Corinth, he is letting them know that Jesus is the first of many, and those that are dead are simply sleeping. That's how he explains it. They are simply asleep. Now, what he does next is Paul begins to explain to you and to me what's actually going on. Here's what he says. That when you go to a funeral, and you go to a funeral of someone who's put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, here's what he tells us. Is that when we are buried, our bodies are buried in what? Brokenness. How many of you think your body is perfect? Don't raise a hand. Don't do that. Trust me, don't do that because the person next to you can point out all the flaws. Trust me. The idea here is 
is that when we are buried, when these bodies die, they die because broken. Your body's broken. My body's broken. I didn't believe my body was broken until I turned 50. And then what I found out was all those sports injuries in my 20s, lo and behold, my father was a prophet. He said, son, all of those injuries you're having in sports when you hit about 50, they're going to come back to haunt you. Why? Because of brokenness. Reading on. It says, but they will be raised in glory. Isn't that amazing? I die because I'm broken, but I will be resurrected in glory. By the way, there's nothing glorious about death. Death itself. Now, the way someone can die may have some heroic nature or some glory to it, but everyone who dies, dies because of brokenness. Next, they are buried in what? Weakness. You don't die because of strength. You die because you're weak, because you're broken, because the curse of Genesis when Adam and Eve spiraled into sin, sin became the alien invader into the human race and in all of creation and what was strong and filled with glory is now broken and filled with weakness. And then he goes on to say, but they will be raised in what? Strength. Strength. Isn't that stunning? But here's what you need to know. You go through brokenness and you go through weakness to get to resurrection. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be death. Something must die in order for it to be resurrected. And I will tell you this, the people in Corinth were jumping for joy as they read Paul's letter. Because in their minds, death was the final thing. Death was the unavoidable consequence of being human. Death, brokenness, weakness, all those things that naturally we despise conquers the human body and it ends up in death. But Paul said, you know the brokenness thing? You know the weakness thing? Temporary. It's not permanent. It's temporary. On the other side, you will be raised in strength. Paul goes on to practically teach some other things to those who are reading his letter. And I think they're important for us to understand as well. Here's what I think Paul would have us to understand this morning. And it's this. He writes, What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, look to your left, look to your right. Real quick, they're either a brother or a sister. Nothing else. Let's go on. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, I want you to catch this, Paul writes, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Stunning. In other words, your physical body right here cannot live forever. Can't happen. He goes on to say, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So what Paul is saying is this, your body, the way it is right now, cannot live in heaven. Impossible. Why? Because your body is dying. Your body has death in it. Your body is moving towards death. Now, I know if you're about 15 or 17, you don't believe this is true. I know you don't. You look at your body and go, no, nope, I'm not dying. Well, let me explain something to you. Even though you feel invincible, you still have death in you. It's how it works. And what the Apostle Paul says is this, and he's teaching the Corinthian church and teaching you and me is this. Very important. I want you to catch this. Your physical body as it is right now cannot inhabit heaven. Do you want to know why? It's got death in it, and there will be no death in heaven. None. Heaven is about life. Heaven is about a new creation. Heaven is about God as it intended it to be. And your body as it is right here sitting in this chair has got death. Therefore, it cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Can't do it. Not going to happen. And then Paul goes on to say about this. But, I love this. I love what he writes next. He says, when what is perishable, in other words, when what that has death in it has been, what's the next word? Clothed. By that which is what? 
imperishable. In other words, you are perishable. But through God's grace, you will be clothed with the what? Imperishable. And the mortal, that means you can die, will, will happen to be clothed with immortality, and then the Scriptures will come true. Now let me phrase it this way. Pete Hartwig's body is perishable. I know this is true. And what Paul says through the resurrection of Jesus is that there is the promise of God, that which is perishable, my physical body, will be clothed with imperishable, and this body which is mortal will somehow be transformed and it will become immortal. Immortal, cannot die, and at that point, the Scriptures will come true. Scripture will come true. The next thing Paul writes is this. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So this is the phrase right after the prior one that I read. Paul says this. When you and I die in this mortal shell, which is filled with death, is suddenly clothed with a new reality, with a resurrection just like, just like Christ, here's what it says. Death is now swallowed up. The thing that eats you alive, it gets swallowed up. The death that overcomes our mortal bodies will suddenly be completely consumed. And what will it be consumed with? What? Victory. In the resurrection, Paul begins to jump for joy and he writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He quotes two passages from the Older Testament that speak about the ultimate triumph in God. And I want you to get this very clearly. In the mind of the Apostle Paul, the ultimate victory is not that you go to heaven. The ultimate victory is that one day your body, which is mortal, which is dysfunctional, which is broken, which has death in it, will one day be resurrected the same way of Jesus. Your body will be resurrected from the dead. And to the Apostle Paul is, that's where the victory lies. The victory lies in the fact that your body, which was racked with sin and had proof that death was conquering, will be resurrected with a body that can never die. And in the moment of your resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, that is the ultimate victory. It's about the resurrection. Now here's the cool news. Is that in Jesus, He's the first fruits. And if He's first, by God's grace, I will be allowed to be second, third, fourth, whatever it is. But in the midst of that, when I am raised from the dead, that will be the ultimate victory that there is. Reach out, grab yourself, real quick, just like this. Feel that? When you're resurrected, you'll still be able to grab that. Stunning, isn't it? You know what's super cool? You'll be able to walk through walls. I love that. Every superhero thing will now be part of your life. But here's what's even better. Catch this. This is key. Your body right now has got death. Your new one won't have death. And here's the cool thing. Through the resurrection, you will experience victory. And you know what the victory is? Your body will be resurrected just like Jesus's, and therefore, you can live in heaven. Therefore, you will be able to live there. But here's the thing that's so important to understand. No one goes to heaven without a resurrection because the resurrected body is the only body that can survive in heaven. You can't live there. You cannot survive in heaven without the type of body that Jesus had. This physical body can't live there. That's how this works. So when we look at this, how do we practically put feet to our faith? How do we do this? Well, first, I want you to understand this very carefully. God literally put feet to faith. In Jesus, 
That faith thing, that thing that you couldn't see, couldn't touch, couldn't feel, has now literally got feet. Jesus turns in resurrected body and he turns to the disciples and says, touch my hands and touch my what? Feet. Touch me. It's me. It's physical. But then he says this. This is so important. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. How do I practically move towards this? Here's what you do. Here's what you do to put feet to your faith when it comes to the resurrection. Here's what Paul writes to the Roman church. Picture this. Same guy that met Jesus resurrected. Same guy that said Jesus appeared to 500 at one time. Same guy that said that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. There's billions of more resurrections coming. He was the first. Same guy that said you will get the same body that Jesus had, which will allow you to live in heaven. Same guy that said the body you have right now cannot live in heaven. Can't happen, won't work, because you have death, and in heaven there is no death. You need a new body, body that can live forever. Here's what he says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and do enough good works so that God will approve of you, it's not what he said. Let's go back again. He said this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you pay enough money, it's not what he said. Here's what he said. This is shocking to me. Jesus said, or the Apostle Paul says about Jesus, if you will declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and, what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from death eternally. That's how this works. And so what I want you to notice is the resurrection is the center of the gospel. The resurrection is the bullseye of the gospel. It's the thing that God would call us, that the apostle Peter would call us, that the 11 disciples would call us, that the apostle Paul would call us to look at and say, it's true. It's true. And in the midst of that, if we say with our mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you are saved. You are saved. Now, I have no idea of knowing where you're at with Jesus. I have no idea. But here's what I want to say so clearly. That is this. If you've never accepted Jesus, I want to encourage you right now, right where you're seated, to I'd encourage you to consider opening up your heart to Him. I would encourage you in this moment not to exit this auditorium without saying, you know what, Jesus is resurrected and what am I going to do in response to his resurrection? The Bible's so clear. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. What will you do about it? Would you be open this morning to by faith saying a simple prayer? taking a look at what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection and saying, look, he did that for me. Let me phrase it this way. If you're here and you're aware that your body is broken, that death is real, that dysfunction is real, and you need someone, you need something to save you from that. Jesus' resurrection is proof that he can do that for you, he can do it for me. Would you be willing to pray a prayer with me? This isn't a prayer that your grandmother can pray for you. This isn't a prayer that your friend that invited you to city this morning can pray for you. This is a prayer that is between you and God and God alone. But I want to lead you in a prayer. So what I'm gonna ask is that all of us would close our eyes. We would open up our hearts by faith. But if you've never accepted Jesus and you want to do that this morning, I'm going to encourage you, if not beg you, if not challenge you, to pray this prayer. The prayer goes something like this. 
Jesus, I don't know everything that there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is that death is real, that dysfunction is real, and that my body is broken. And Jesus, I choose in this moment to believe that you are resurrected from the dead. I choose to believe by faith that not only are you resurrected from the dead, but in you I have a promise that I too will be resurrected from the dead and be able to live with a heavenly Father forever. So Jesus, forgive me of the sin that I've done in this body of death. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. May your death, burial, and resurrection be on my behalf as I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. In Christ's name I ask. Amen. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to take out the news feed that you were handed, open it up, and on the inside, there's a place to put some basic contact information, and on the back of that tear-off, you can check off that you chose to follow Jesus today. There's also opportunities to check other things, as well as to put in a prayer request. I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that just for a moment. I'm going to ask that you would remain seated. The worship team is going to lead us briefly. And as they lead us briefly, we're going to take up this morning's offering. Again, if you accepted Jesus this morning, please tear that off and put it in the bucket so that we can journey with you in your newfound faith. But as the offering is now taken, I want to encourage you to sit in God's presence and contemplate the word of the Lord to our hearts this morning. Yeah. 
conclude our service, as we conclude our time together, if you would like prayer, our prayer team is going to begin to move towards the walls and a little bit down front to pray with you and to pray for you. If you're here and you have a burden in your heart or a burden in your life, I encourage you, don't exit this auditorium without first being prayed for. So if our prayer team and our life group leaders could now make a move to the walls to pray for those that have needs. I want to encourage you to spend some time in worship. If you would like to remain, you can. If you need prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward for prayer. After the pastoral blessing, if you would like to slip out, slip out quietly, I encourage you to do that. But I want to challenge one more thing. If the resurrection is new to you, please ask God this week that He would reveal to you the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May Jesus Christ Himself turn His face towards you. And may He give you His grace and His peace and his resurrection. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.
God, we just pray that you would just take that reality of your resurrection into our resurrection, God, and um, help it just stay on our minds throughout the day, throughout the weeks and months, Lord. We just ask that you would seal that in our minds, help us live in that reality. We thank you for this day. We ask all this in Jesus' name.